0: And we're thankful to be studying the seven churches because it really reveals a lot about ourselves and where we're at. Some encouraging things. Sometimes we have to look in the mirror and change some things. And, and uh, God knows what we need to change. And we look at this. But before I even get into the passage, I want to ask you a question. What, which gospel do you believe in? I'm going to present two of them to you. Let's see which one you believe in. The first one is that God is holy. We are sinners. Jesus came to die for our sins, was buried and rose again. And all we need to do is just believe and we'll be saved. I like that gospel. Think that through. Or gospel number two. God is holy, we are sinners, Jesus came and died for our sins, was buried and rose again. What we need to do is repent and believe. Now, why is this important? Well, the first gospel emphasizes Jesus as our Savior. And is he our Savior? Yes. And what do we do to get saved? Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The second gospel really emphasizes Jesus as both Savior and Lord. So while we are saved by just believing, He is going to come into our lives and change our lives and demand that we live a different kind of life because He is not only our Savior, He is our what? Our Lord. There's a difference. And so what how we answer this question is going to set us up for all that we do as a church. And I've struggled through the years with this because I'd say this if we're going to say you need to make him your Lord, how far are we going to go with that? Because some people say, All right, you need to make him Lord. So how far are you going to go with that? How 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 far? I mean, Lord of everything? Is he ever Lord of everything in our lives? Or do we sin after we're saved? You better believe it. And so I want to be careful because if we emphasize that, then it becomes about works and not about grace and faith alone in Christ. But if we just say, come as you are, don't worry, just keep living in your sin, God doesn't care, you're just, you're saved and keep living your life. Something else is wrong. We're cheapening the gospel. So which gospel do we believe in? And let me let me just say this: It's important because it's going to dictate what we're going to do as a church. And there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to church discipline. You know, you've you've heard this before, and some of you have have seen seen business meetings where where church discipline has happened. I, I hear things like, "This is not loving. You don't love the people. It never works." Why should we do it? You're going to lose people. And and let me just tell you, there's some truth to you're going to lose people because every time church discipline happens, people leave. People leave. People get upset. Or people say it's unloving. You don't love. Well, if you look at the Bible, the most loving thing we can do is discipline. And so we think about these things and we go through it. I wanna, I wanna just give you a few purposes. My good friend Lehman, I've never met him before. He, he, he talks about discipline. He wrote a book called Church Discipline. He says this is it. Church discipline aims to expose I mean, sin's like a cancer. It wants to hide, but 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 church discipline exposes the sin. It also warns people not to continue in that path of sin. It saves people from a path of sin. We want them to come back to Jesus and be restored. And it protects the very church and the gospel and, and the reputation of Jesus Christ. And it presents a good witness for Christ. But let me tell you something. I don't like being a part of this. And if you know a pastor that does, let me know. And when we go through it, we'll call him to do it, and I'll go on vacation for two weeks, and then I'll come back. All right? I don't like this. This is not fun stuff. This is This is the stuff that causes pastors to leave churches. This is the stuff where you say, you come to this, I'm done, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. But it's necessary. And we're going to look at this church. I love this church, this church in Thyatira. You know why? Because if you think of the city, it's like us going from talking about the church in Denver to the church in Colorado Springs to the church in Pueblo, and now we're in Rocky Ford. Anybody ever been to Rocky Ford? Anything going on in Rocky Ford? Don't blink. You're driving through Rocky Ford, you blink, you're going to miss it. I mean, there ain't much there. Let me just tell you something, Thyatira is the least known, least important, least remarkable of the seven cities. In fact, Thyatira was a very small town with big problems. Now, I lived in Livingston, Alabama. Anybody ever been there? Highway 20. You just get on Highway 20 and you drive, and if you hit Mississippi, you missed it. But you're just right there. And I'll never forget the first words I heard in Alabama when we went to go visit. We were at the school orientation just before the college started. And this girl comes up to me and she said those words. How old are you? I'm like, what? How old are you? You look so young. And I did at that time. You know, I was in incredible shit. Not one amen, but yeah, yeah, different, different stage of my life at that time. I looked like I was in fourth grade or something. How old are you? And so we asked, so what do you guys do for fun here in Livingston, Alabama? Are you ready for this? They hang on train tracks. And let the train go over next to them while they're hanging on a train track. So here's a New York City boy that goes to these train tracks. Here's coyotes as we're walking in the... I go, are those coyotes? Yeah, they're coyotes. Don't worry. They won't come. Don't worry. I'm like, I'm ready. They're going to rip us apart here. We get to the train tracks. I said, now what do we do? Well, we wait for the train to come and we have some fun. So here I am sitting on the side of a train track over a bridge. And the train comes by and just blows by a roof. I go, you call this fun? This is crazy. This is terrible here. You know, you want fun. Go to New York and walk in the Bronx and see if you make it. That's fun. You know I mean? this ain't fun. You know I mean? But the things that they would do, we got on inner tubes and went down lakes with snakes in them. These rivers with snakes. In them. Why? That's fun. We would go and hang out with cows, and but that's not fun. This is not fun. But that was fun to them. I'm telling. And a lot of things happened in Livingston, Alabama, that you would not believe. Small towns. Big problems. I figure, you know what? God got me out of that. I'll never be in a small town again. Then all of a sudden, we're living in Sheraton, Iowa. You ever been to Sheraton, Iowa? Don't blink. No stoplights. Don't blink. And just the things that went on in this small town. This is Thyatira. This is these small towns, big problems, and really, what was going on in this in these towns where the religious life was influenced by these unions? So, if you had a job, you were part of a union or these guilds they called them. And and what that meant is you had to go to their parties, you had to worship their gods, you had to act immoral and idolatry and all this because if you weren't part of a union, you wouldn't get a job. Now you're saved. Now what do you do? Do you still go to these parties? Do you still, do you still do the things that they want you to do? Or do you act like God wants you to act? And so Thyatira has this, and Jesus comes to them, and here's what he says here. He says, I want you to know this. I am the Son of God. I am the one. Interesting, he doesn't use this title of himself in all of Revelation, but here he does, because they had the main God, Apollo, who is the Sun God, S-U-N. And so he says, I am the true Son of God. By the way, when we call Jesus the Son of God, you know what we're saying? He is God. He is God. He says, I am God. I am the son of God. I am the one who has eyes like the flame of fire. And I love this because what he's saying is, I am the one that sees right through people. I am the one that understands people. I tell you, there's people that come to churches and they'll dupe you. You think everything's fine, everything's okay, but really they're a fake. Jesus sees that. He's got the eyes of a flame of fire. He sees right through. In fact, if you studied in John chapter 2 when he turned the water into wine and then uh, some people came and they believed and it said, that, it said in the passage that he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in man. Wow, think about that. He's got eyes like a flame of fire and look at his feet. His feet are like burnished bronze. And what this is talking about is the strength of Jesus, the splendor of Jesus and Jesus coming. And he is going to stomp out all sin and false doctrine. That's our God. So he's the son of God. He's the one that sees right through the fakes. He's the one that one day will come and stomp out all the sin and false doctrine in churches. What does he say about this church? Well, I love this church. Look look at what he says about this church. He goes, I know your deeds. Now watch this. I know your deeds. And look what kind of church it was. I know your love. Now now don't miss this because the church at Ephesus left their first one. But not this church. This church was a loving church. It really thought about the well-being of other people, sacrifice for the well-being of other people. This church loved God and loved others. You know what else? This church was, had faith, and really what it's talking about is being dependable. There were people who were dependable there. What I, what I love about Whitefield is there's people that you can just depend on. You know, it's going to happen. You know, things are going to happen and you praise God. I could depend on Rick. We know the finances are going to be taken care of the music. Brian, you just go down the list or you know, even COVID couldn't stop her. She's back and playing around. I just, I, I, I praise the Lord. They're dependable people that you can depend on service. This word is, is is a different kind of word, but it's used of, of caring for others. This was a church that would serve others and volunteer, serve sacrificially, joyfully serve others. And they're a church that would not give up a perseverance. They would continue to stay and still do it. What a church. But here's what gets me about this church. They loved. They were dependable. They were serving these acts of kindness. They were persevering. But look at this next line. And your deeds of late are greater than at what? So this church was not only loving, they were growing in their love. This church was not only dependable, they were growing in their faith. This church was not only serving, they were growing in their service. This church was not only persevering, this church was growing in their perseverance. This caused me to pause and to say, Lord, am I loving you more now and loving others more now? Am I more dependable now? Am I serving more now? Am I persevering more now than ever before? That was this church. I think about Wyfield, and I I praise the Lord. I look at the different things that we have been able to do with Thanksgiving baskets, and and every year it just gets sweeter and sweeter. It's growing and growing, and God wants us to continue to grow. We shouldn't be going back. People talk about the past. Well, I used to serve God this way, and when I was 25, I used to serve here, and when I was 30, I served over here, and when I was 40, I served over here. That's not the things we should be talking about. Here's the question. Are you serving them now more than ever before? Are you loving others now more than ever before? Are you persevering now more than ever before? Their later deeds are greater than their first. They are growing in the church and they're growing in their love, faith, service, and perseverance. That's a church. And I thank God for that. That's what we want. That's what we are doing by God's grace. And that's what God would want. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? But here's the danger. We get so excited about growing in our love, growing in our faith, growing in our service, growing in our perseverance, that we don't want to deal with sin. That we don't want to deal with the hard part. That we just say, ah, so what? so and struggle, struggling. Let's just let them struggle. Don't worry about them. Don't get their act together. Or, oh, we want to reach you so much that we can care less. We just want you to stay the same. Just stay the same when you come. No, that's the danger. Here's the danger. Look at this in verse 20. This is incredible. But I have this against you, that you, and look at that word. Say it. Now, I actually like that word. Now you guys are ready to jump on me. Because you know what that word means? It's literally the Greek word for forgiveness. And guess what? I thank God for the forgiveness of sin. Amen? On you? I thank God that he releases sin. I thank God that he pardons sin. I thank God that he sends away sin. But here's here's what it means in this context. This same word means in a context, an unwillingness to take an active stand against sin. So here we are growing in love and growing in faith and, and growing in service and growing in perseverance and doing more than ever before, but not willing to take a stand against sin. Here's what was happening to the church. Look at this. Someone said this. It's common for churches to be polarized on one of these two extremes. Either they have full heads and empty hearts or they have full hearts and empty minds. Wow, that's convicting. Either we are so full, our hearts is so, all, oh, we just love you. Come here. We love you. We love you. We love, oh, the Bible we don't care about. We love you. Just come. We love you. And there's others that are just all Bible. What'd you do today? Huh? See verse two? Read it. Read it. <laughs> She's pretty good. I can pick my mouth. And there it's just beating everybody up with the scriptures. Uh Aha, I caught you. I saw, uh uh-oh, this one I want to get. You having a problem this week, huh? Eat it. Read it. And they know the scriptures, baby. Oh, I'm telling you, they can quote any, any little thing in your life. They'll quote you a scripture and rip you to shreds. But no heart. I remember when we, we lost the baby and the baby was dead in the belly. And we didn't know what to do. Here we are in Argentina all worried. But what are we going to do? The baby's not passing. The baby's dead. Somebody calls me up. He goes, get the baby out. Get the baby out. I go, What? I go, talk to me as a father. Talk to me as a husband. Don't just tell me, get the baby out. Give me some love here, something, help me. And he goes, okay, now I'll talk to you as a father. You need to remove the baby. You can hurt your wife. I said, thank you. The first counsel, I didn't like too much. The second one, I enjoyed Sometimes we are so strict in the scriptures. We know the scriptures. We just beat people up. And there's other times when we just forget about the scriptures. And we just say, I'm just going to love on them. But I'm not going to use the word. No, that's not what God wants. The two extremes out there that are so easy. And if you have a heart for people. And if you love people. And you want to grow in your love. And grow in your faith. And grow in your service. And grow in your perseverance. It's hard. To take a stand against sin. And yet this church, they tolerate, they allow it to go. Look what's going on here. Who? They allow this woman, and look at her name, Jezebel. Now, I know I joke around with naming your kid, if you're going to have a kid, uh, Jeremina. But I doubt anyone here. I don't know. Maybe you have. Anybody have a relative named Jezebel? Well, you do? Wow, Jessica's a relative to Joseph, I can't believe it. And, uh, <laughs> well, let's go on to the next passage here. <coughs> I need water now. <coughs> Cousin, aunt, what is she? Cousin? i explain some things. All right, let's go on in here. <laughs> I'm kidding around, Jezebel, what do we know about Jezebel in the Bible? I'll tell you something, it's funny because I remember one time Katie and I were in this uh, um, this, this little doctor's office with our kids and we said all our kids have biblical names and they go, yeah, our kids do and they name the two names and the two of the names of their kids were the ten evil spies and uh, you probably don't want to name your kids that but anyway, Jezebel, what do we know about Jezebel? We know that she was a wicked, domineering, deceived person that loved to deceive others and she's known for two things. Are you ready for this? Her harlotrys or her going around and doing things that she ought not and her witchcraft. And she led Israel into idolatry. And she killed prophets and she messed with different Elijah. Remember him? Here's Elijah calling down fire from heaven, and Jezebel's after him, and he's scared to death. Oh, you don't mess with Jezebel. And and this woman Jezebel, we know here in this text, that's probably not her name, but it represents who she is. And look and look at what look, look at what she is. She calls herself a prophetess, so she's saying that she gets her message from God. She teaches and leads bond servants, which. Is a violation of 1st Timothy chapter 2, which says that, uh, that women should not be teaching or have authority over men. They could do a thousand things in a church, but that's one that they shouldn't be. Pastors are leading men, and she's doing it. And she's doing it. Look at this. She's leading what? Astray. That is an interesting word. That word is the word for planets. Where back then they would see the different stars, the moons, the planets and all that. And it would be like a deception. They would come and they wouldn't be there to be a half moon, a full moon, and this and that. They would say, wow, what's going on with all this? It would deceive them. And what she is doing is deceiving them. She is, she is teaching something, promising freedom. She's promising all kinds of things. She's promising this using the name Jesus, promising all these things. And people are buying it hook, line, and sinker. I was uh thinking about that and I, I couldn't I don't want to pick too much on different people out there that, that do this, but there I mean I, I look at Joyce Meyer. Now one amen. amen. And a lot of good stuff. But did you know she believes that Jesus stopped being the Son of God? Did you know that she believes that Jesus needed to be born again? <clears throat> Do you know that she believes that she gets a direct message from God? Uh, We could put Jezebel in the same category. She's promising all kinds of freedom and everything, telling the people to do what they want. And the church is just tolerating. It's not doing anything about it. What do you do when something like this goes on? Well, look what the text says. How should we respond to those who are spreading heresy? How should we respond to those who are living in blatant sin? How do we respond as a church to that? Here's what we do. We just love them and hug them. Is that what God wants? Or we just turn a blind eye and don't say anything. We don't want to hurt anybody. Here's what we do. Are you ready for this? Church discipline. Wait a minute. You say, what does that mean? Well, look at the text. This is beautiful. Church discipline ought to be fair. I gave her, don't miss this. I gave her what? Time to repent. I, I wish that God would put a time in there. I wish He would say, I gave her a month to repent. Then it would make it easy. All right, talk to somebody about the sin. You got a month. We'll be back and that's it. But we don't have, we don't know the time. We don't know if we need to go right away or we don't know. We need to wait. I'll tell you this. We shouldn't go too fast. I'll tell you this. We shouldn't go too slow. Whatever that means. But he gave her time to repent. And, and and I love that. Our Lord is so gracious. He gives time. He could wipe us out in a second if he wants to. But he is so gracious. He gives us time to get out of that. But look, look what happens. She does not want it. She doesn't want it. She doesn't want to repent. And that's sad. He gives time. It ought to be fair, but... But it comes to a point where they say, you know what? I'm not going to change. Nothing you say will change. Nothing you do will change. Well, now we have to take it to the next step. He gave her time to repent. She doesn't want to repent. Let me just tell you this. Formal church discipline should occur when sins are three things. They're outward. I mean, this is known. People know that. It's serious. It's serious. We're not gonna discipline somebody for being a Raider fan. Amen. <laughs> All other me, that's an offense. That's a big offense. Or New York. Or New York. Amen. <laughs> I actually rooted for the Raiders like never before this week. I am Amen. so happy. Amen. <laughs> But these are serious sins. These aren't little. Oh, okay. I just. Uh, I think maybe you're greedy here. We're gonna bring you before the church and all that. These are serious. These are things that will hurt your testimony, hurt yourself, or hurt others. So we got to deal with it. And then the only reason we would ever come to church discipline is an unrepentant heart. So there's a big difference when somebody comes in the office and says, you know what? I made a mistake with my wife this week. I, I did something I should have done, but I, I repent of it. I am so sorry. I'm going to change my life. Or someone else that comes to the office says, you know what? I made a mistake with my wife and I'm going to keep doing it. I had a guy in Peru. I couldn't believe it. He's sitting next to his pregnant wife and he looks at me and whispers in my ear and he says, you know what? I'd change if I didn't have six other women in my life. Six other women. That is an unrepentant heart. That is a hard heart. Now, the Italian comes out of me when people tell me that. The flesh takes over. I want to knock them through the wall and then give them the Bible. Of course, I'll give them the Bible. I just want to hit them first. Six other women with your pregnant wife right next to you and you don't want to change? That is an unrepentant heart. There's a difference. There are people who have a remorseful heart. They're remor- Oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh! And they're crying and crying and crying. All right, what changes are you going to make? Nothing. No, that's not a repentant heart. Somebody who comes in with tears is is willing to change their life. Whatever it takes so they wouldn't repeat that sin again. It is outward, serious, and unrepentant. And she did not want to repent. Don't miss that. He gave her time, but she didn't want to repent. So now the tough stuff comes, and this is really hard. Church discipline ought to be fearful. Behold, I throw her on a bed of sickness. Now, the Greek word sickness is not in there. It's really, it's a bed. It could talk about death here. And then he mentions those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. There's going to be great trials coming into their lives unless they repent. Look at verse 23. I will kill her children. This refers to those who buy her doctrine, hook, line, and sinker with pestilence. This is some serious stuff. You study Corinthians. And Paul goes like this. He says, that's why some of you sleep. And he's not saying sleep in the service because that happens every Sunday, amen? But he says, some, this is why some of you sleep. What he says, this is why some of you are dead because you're not listening to the Lord. And here's what he says, and I love this. He goes, this is some of you are sleep, and some of you have died, why? Because you will not be condemned with the world. In other words, they're not gonna lose their salvation, but they are gonna lose their lives. This is fearful stuff. This is scary stuff. This is, I remember one guy telling me they had a church business meeting and people got up and started throwing things and accusing one another and all that. He said after that meeting, some of them died, some of them got really sick, some of them were messing with the Lord. This is something that we see and we say, you know what? Lord, help us. We don't want to go down this path. We want the best. We want to help that person that go down that path. You know why? Because he's the one who searches the minds and hearts and he'll give to each one according to your deeds. Remember, he has the flame, the eyes of a flame of fire. He sees right through it. And he says, if you want to continue on that unrepentant heart, there will be consequences to that. What they are, only God knows. And we need to be careful of saying that's a consequence because you're not living. We don't know if God ever gave us what we deserve. We'd all be dead walking out of this parking lot. Amen. But there are consequences. So, what does he say to the church? Here's what they ought to do, here's the command. He says to you, to the rest, he says to says, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known, look at this, the deep things of Satan. Because that's what she was teaching. The other one was the synagogue of Satan. The other church had, they were at the very throne of Satan. You know, they had Satan's city. This one is going into the deep things of Satan and the deep doctrines of Satan. The deepest things of Satan. He says, this is what, I'm going to place a burden upon you. Here's, here's what, no other burden but this, verse 25. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Here's what he says. What I want you to do, hold fast to that loving heart. Hold fast to that servant's heart. And keep doing the things that you are doing. Until when? Until I come. Wow. You say, what does the Lord want us to do? with all these variants coming out and all these shutdowns that may come back out and all these things that may happen, you know what the Lord wants us to do? Hold on, hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to his word and keep serving him. Hold fast. Cling to Christ. Cling all the more to Christ. I look at all the fear in the world. Look at the stock market. Look at the things that are happening. People are losing their trust in everything. You know what? We have trust in Christ. He never changes. Hold fast until I come. The exciting news is he's coming. When? We don't know. But hold fast to him. Cling to Christ. Do the things that he wants. Have that full heart and full mind. Christ is coming. And look what he promises this church. I love it. He, he who overcomes and keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken into pieces. Also if I receive the authority from my Father. Here's what he's saying. When the millennial kingdom comes, when Christ comes and sets up his millennial, we will reign with Christ. And here's another thing. This doesn't get any better. And I will give him the what? You know who the morning star is? Jesus himself. He's saying, I will give him the only thing that will ever satisfy in this world. And that's Christ. What more could we ever dream of when we're in his presence, but to have him? Isn't that great? He says, I'll give him the morning star. He says, do what I've called you to do. Don't just sit there and tolerate. Take a stand because one day you will reign with Christ and you will have to take a stand in the millennial kingdom. You will reign with Christ and I will give him the morning star. You will have Jesus Christ himself. What more could you ever dream of? He who has an ear, let him hear. We were in Argentina and... We had three Bible studies going in people's homes. And it was amazing. We're just about to go into our new building in six months. We're building a new building. We got these three Bible studies going on. This is Amazing stuff is going on. And we walk into one of the, the houses. Lady had AIDS. Her, her husband at the time, he, he had AIDS. He didn't tell her. He, he gave her AIDS and then he died. And we're having Bible studies with them and we're we're, we're having a, a great time sharing the gospel. And I mean, God is blessing in a way. I couldn't be more excited. We're going into the new building. We got these, these three Bible studies going on in different people's homes. I mean, it is amazing what's going on. We walk into a home and one of the deacons at the time in the church says, Jeremy, I got a problem. I said, I don't know what's going on. He goes, uh, I got a letter from the government saying we need to leave our house. I said, why do you have to leave your house? He goes, because this is not our house. We've been living here for 14 years. We just took over this house. We've never been paying taxes. And finally, the owner, after 14 years, has been able to evict us, and they're trying to evict us. What do I do? What do you do? You leave. You give the person back their house. Oh, no, he didn't do that. He wrote, he got a lawsuit against the owner for surprising him and causing him to leave the house. This is Argentina. So I said, you know what? You know what we need to do? You're a deacon now. and, And part of the Bible says that it says a deacon should not be in dishonest gain. And so you're in dishonest gain right now. Why don't you just step down from being a deacon and we'll work on this. So he gets before the church. He says this. He goes, you know what? I got a problem. I got a problem. I'll solve it in a week or two, but I got a problem. Church is like, what in the world is the problem? And then, in, in God's sovereignty and, and, and grace, somebody asks, are you still going to have the Bible study in your home? And the guy's like, uh, oh yeah, the problem's my home, by the way. All that and And so we didn't didn't do church discipline right away. We just, we walked him through it. But the unrepentant heart kept going and going. He went to the local uh, courthouse to find out if our other deacons had their houses in order. Six months goes by. Oh, this is all fun. I just love the ministry now. No, I don't. I'm ready to tell Katie we're getting on a plane and we're done in Argentina Six months go by and we're dealing with this behind the scenes. Finally, we go before the church. The church says, why don't you meet with him another three months and and bring more witnesses there. We meet with him another three. One of the meetings, both the deacons are up. I thought they were going to get into a fist fight right there. And I'm like, this is getting, this is getting crazy. We finally had a church meeting nine months later. And we presented to the church and we let them vote. What do you want to do? Before they voted, he got up in the meeting and he said, I want all those who think I'm in sin or I want them to stand. I said, we're not having anyone stand right now. We're just going to take a vote right now and we're going to see really sad. We take a vote. The church voted uh, him out to discipline him. He got up out of his chair know what he does? He gets out of his chair and he donated a microwave to the church about a year and a half ago. He rips the plug out of the wall, picks up his microwave and walks out of the church. Took my microwave! (laughs) (laughs) He was so mad, he got up and walked out with the microwave. Is that a repentant heart? Here's what's amazing about this story. The friend that was with him in this, this is what makes it amazing, that was buying it all along, after the church took that stand, got up and in tears said to the church, will you forgive me? So here we are having two people, one with one reaction of ripping the micro and going out with the mic, another one saying, please forgive me. I was wrong. We did what was wrong. See, church discipline works. And if anyone tells you it doesn't work, they don't know how to do it. It gets messy. I hate it. It's times when I never want to be part of a church during that time. But I see God work in ways that are just absolutely amazing. And I'd like to say that this guy that ripped a plug out in microwave is repentant now and is living for Jesus. But right now he doesn't go to church. He doesn't believe in anything. He's nothing for God. That's sad. But we must do it. So here's the question for us. Something to ponder. To say nothing means that you agree. If we just sit there and do nothing, we are saying it's okay to live with an unrepentant heart. You're fine. Don't worry about it. God bless you. We love you. Just keep doing that. And I'm sorry. We are not patting people's backs when they're on their way to hell. We will do whatever it takes to help them. And I tell people this. We care more about your souls than we do your friendship. And if you get mad and want to rip, praise the Lord, no one here has donated a microwave. You're not getting our microwaves. But it, <laughs> if you want to rip a microwave out and run out of the church with your microwave, that's something between you and the Lord. But what's more important is your soul. And how can we sit here and just say, everything's okay, when it's not? See, Thyatira had an amazing church. But They were loving and faithful, and serving, and persevering, and growing, and yet they were silent. And God says to them, some of the strictest judgment ever of all the churches, although you're so great, you flunked the test, because you need to take a stand. Don't allow that to go on. Take your stand, and let God work. Let's pray. Our Father, we we, we thank you so much, Lord, what a passage of Scripture, a hard passage. And so many misconceptions out there of what church discipline really means. And Lord, it's not unloving because you discipline us and you love us. It is fair and it is fearful. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would protect this church from having to go through that. That when we sin, not if we sin, but when we sin, that, Lord, we would have a repentant heart, that we would be willing to listen to counsel, willing to change our lives, make the changes that are needed so that we don't have to go down that path. Lord, I pray that there if there's any sin right now that we don't know about or somebody's playing with or doesn't want to deal with, that right now your spirit would work in their hearts and they would say, you're not only my savior, but you're my Lord. And I want to live for you with all my heart, soul and mind. God, thank you for a church that is growing in love, in faith, in service, and perseverance. But God, we realize that there's a tendency out there as we grow in those things to turn a blind eye to sin. So help us to be faithful, to cling on to Christ, to cling on to his word, to cling on to the hope that we have in him until he comes back. And reigns on this earth. Lord we look forward to that. Thank you for who you are. We praise you and love you. In Jesus precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.